amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. I woke up at 5 a.m. Put on my camouflage. Wiped off my 243 and fired up my dodge. Headed out to my old deer stand back in the pines. Gonna get me a 10-point buck with 11-inch pines. I'm a bad And welcome back to Jim Strader Outdoors. Tonight we're doing gun talk with Master Gunsmith Gary Roman from Firearm Service Center. And we've been talking about a variety of subjects tonight. I'm going to return to some of my wildlife notes at the beginning of the program because Gary, like myself, is a very passionate wildlife manager, um, has various kinds of wildlife projects he does for deer and turkey and doves and ducks and a lot of other things like I do. And uh, Gary, we were talking about this goofy weather, but let's return to some wildlife notes here real quick. If folks are just joining the program, number one, fawns are out there in big numbers right now. And a lot of them are in that very, early stage of development where they're hunkered down in some of these food plots and hay fields where their mother leaves them so coyotes aren't uh, coursing or, or surveying the normal areas where they would come across game. They love to bring them out in the middle of a hay field, for example, and sequester them there because that's not an edge. Mm-hmm. You know, this is uh, God's plan, Mother Nature's plan to help them protect those babies. But it doesn't protect them from mowing machines or or hay vines. So what uh, we're telling people is they're there now. Uh, If you can, walk the field, survey the field, uh, just kind of be careful. Additionally, turkeys are with poults. Uh, You definitely want to see the hens leave. And give them time to leave, but the poults trails them if that's the case. But most importantly, in the case of turkeys, with all the rain we've had, there's big renesting efforts going on right now. The nestings in these fields are going to go way beyond uh, what we normally see on a timeline for nests in these fields. So, um, and that's from observations that you and I. My network of folks have been seeing there's lots of hens 
now with gobblers, mm-hmm. which is very, very unusual, groups of three, four, five hens uh, with gobblers traveling and breeding. So we're going to see this persist. And obviously with farming operations, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, tremendous hay crop. Totally understand the need to, to harvest it, but do what you can to kind of, you know, survey the area and, and take care of business the best you can. So we wanted to pass that along and uh, do that as best we can. Let's uh, go on to Jack. He's calling from Bardstown. And again, folks, the numbers 571 8484 1 800 444 8484. Hey, Jack, can you hear us okay? Uh, yes, I've got a question, Jim. I know you do a lot of hunting in the woods. Have you ever gotten chiggers on your legs? Because they burrow under the skin. Okay, once they do that, how do you get rid of them? Uh, I have had chiggers about everywhere that you could think about, many of which I will not mention on the radio. Okay? All right. uh, let uh, me hang up, and I'm going to turn my radio up, and I'll listen to your suggestions. All right. Very good, sir. Uh, chiggers are actually like a mite that bites you. Uh, it's not so much that they burrow under your skin. It's that they... Uh, have a a uh, toxin, if you will, that causes that intense itching. And they're very prevalent from about now through the summer months. Uh, Gary, I think you'll go along with me. One of the worst cases of chiggers I've ever had in my life have been when I've been in areas where there's blackberries. I was oh, picking yeah. blackberries. <laughs> Blackberry patches, for some reason, or seem to be a perfect uh, uh, nesting area or, or a area where these little jokers uh, are very, very prevalent. Another area they're very prevalent is in field edges where you have Queen Anne's lace or what people refer to as wild carrot. And the old-timers called them chigger lilies. You remember that, Gary? Uh-huh. Yep. And they see those patches of, of uh, Queen Anne's lace and go, yep, those are chigger lilies. Don't go in there. In the old days, folks used to dust their socks and, and uh, shoes with sulfur, sulfur yep. uh, which is a good deterrent. However, it presents another uh, case of uh, scenarios. The best way to avoid that in this day and time, there's two remedies that work really, really well. One of them is needling. Or, or mid-calf length rubber boots. Uh, the chiggers tend not to attach unless you, you know, brush up against vegetation that has them. But the very best way, and it's, I think, the advisable way, Gary, chime in here if you will, is to use permethrin or tick spray. Permethrin kills all these critters on contact. Mm-hmm. If you spray your boots, your socks, in your pants legs, not your bare skin, but your outdoor clothing. And let them dry. And let them dry. When they try to crawl up on you, uh, it's a death sentence for these critters. Yeah. So um, I, I'll put it this way. I won't say I never go out without it, but if you see me without it, it'll be a very rare circumstance. <laughs> uh, 
there used to be some health warnings about permethrin that uh, were designed to tell you not to spray it all over your body. Uh, and I definitely do not uh, ever, if I'm in the vapor, in the wind, inhale, if you will. However, the best way to protect against them, again, spray your boots, your socks, your pants, uh, your shirt. If you're going to be in dense vegetation, that will stop the ticks, it'll stop the chiggers, and there are no health aspects worth mentioning. But the key to it is, as Gary said, the night before or several hours before, spray, let it dry, and go about your business and you won't have very much trouble. And it's actually good for two or three days. So if you don't wash your pants and wash it out of them, it, it's still active. Well, they claim it's good through two washings in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'll tell you. I believe it. <laughs> yeah, that's not the way I operate. Uh, once I wash my clothing, I reapply it. Mm-hmm. And I tend to have sets of jeans or pants and clothing you know, more when you're outside. that I wear when I'm outside. I treat them. And, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about uh, uh, how I smell to a chigger or a tick, if you will. <laughs> so once I spray good, I know I'm good for, as Gary said, a week to 10 days with those same sets of clothes. So that's my advice. And uh, what's the old saying, Gary? That's my story. And, and I'm sticking, sticking to it. So there you go. Let's go to Larry from Spencer. As far as you know, purchasing firearms in this state, do you think it's, you know, the restrictions are right where they need to be, or do you feel there should be more of a process to be able to buy these things? I mean, you know, you got to drive a car to pass your, you know, get your license. You know, I'm all in favor of me walking in a store and buying a gun. I mean, but do you think it should be a little more difficult? That's all I got. I, I think there's more than sufficient legislation on the books now. It comes down to enforcement of those provisions. And in most cases where there's problems with those situations, it's not because there weren't sufficient laws on the books. It's that criminals illegally obtain firearms to do the mayhem that they do. Gary, your thoughts? Well, let's address your, your first question. All your regulations on purchasing a firearm don't come from your state. They come from the federal government on the thing. Those regulations have been enacted since 1968. All right. They require a federal background check on you at the point of purchase. Now, there's no such thing as gun registration, at least not in the state of Kentucky. The federal government has no idea of what you're purchasing they just are aware that you have asked to be able to purchase a firearm. And the screening process, right, is done by the FBI on the thing. Now, with that in mind, do I think it should be more restrictive or one thing or another? I'm a firm believer in training. Um, our current structure of what's gone on with the, the coronavirus and the other social aspects that are coming to bear right now have created an absolute flood in the gun market. And the issue to it is 99.9% of the people that are walking into my shop to buy a firearm have never held a firearm in their life before. Uh, They are scared to death right now, and they're wanting to be able to protect themselves. 
on the thing. Um, the greatest number of, shall we say, non-gun culture people are coming in to get themselves armed. That's the simplest way I can put it. <clears throat> Does it need to be more restrictive? No. Um, our state concealed carry permit, which is now not required for you to carry a gun, uh, is also acts as your federal background check. That is probably the most restrictive license you will ever hold in your pocket on the thing. If anything, if you do anything that's an issue, uh, that's instantly pulled. So the, they really keep up on that. I hope I've answered your question. Are you still there? All right. We're going to go to break here, folks. And this break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties, Hart Realty. Paul Thomas is a broker there. Folks, he's a hunter. He's a fisherman. He has dealt with these properties for more than 30 years. Has really nice farms and wildlife properties for sale. And he would also be delighted to talk to you about your property. If you're wanting to sell, they got everything from farms to cabins on lakes. Uh, he's got a beautiful piece on a river for sale right now. Check him out. M-O-P-H-A-R-T Realty.com. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. We've got Gary Roman with us tonight. Master Gunsmith talking about all things firearms. The numbers to reach us, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. Gary, we talked about something uh, during the program tonight that's a fascinating subject. And it's one that most people... Don't think of. Don't well. There's no way they could, um, and it. I, I can describe this several different ways. I'm going to do it because it's a fascinating subject. Actually, most people that shoot upland birds, and that's the majority of what they do. You know, they shoot quail, woodcock, grouse. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excluding those for a reason. Okay, birds that fly away from you. Okay, a rabbit that jumps and runs away from you. They think of a shot pattern as a circular pancake pancake that catches that critter in that pancake. And rightfully so, because at speed going away from you by that bird or that rabbit is not a big factor. In other words, if you're putting it inside that shot column or that pattern, you're going to hit it. Now, when you go to doves, Ducks, uh, geese, geese, whatever. Whole different ball game. And I didn't understand this until I started to shoot professionally. And as you know, I got very, very involved and, and did what I had to do to understand things to help my efforts. And the thing that I became aware of is what we call shot string or shot column. And this goes back to that gentleman's question about a 410. A 410. There's an excellent book. I think it's still available. It's called Shotgunning, the Art and Science. It was written by Bob Brister, who was an outdoor writer and a fellow uh, competitor of mine from Texas. 
uh, who wrote this book, and he explained shot string in a very, very dramatic fashion. He took uh, sheets of paper and put them on trailers and shot at that trailer at 30 yeah, miles an hour. Semi-trailers. Not a regular trailer. No, no. Yeah, semi-trailers. Yes. And he'd shoot at it 30 miles an hour at 30 yards. And what it showed was there's no pancake. It's a string of shot. Mm-hmm. And it's it's uh, diluted, if you will, by speed and by choke. And what I mean by that is the tighter the choke, the longer the shot string, the more the shot was strung out. And it also has two other factors involved with it. All right. If you're shooting a full choke, you have generally the maximum constriction you can put within a barrel in order to control the spread of the shot. That then deforms the pellets to some extent. Correct. Which creates the shot string. Now, one of the major things that causes shot string is deviation in pellet weight. Now, a number eight pellet, for instance, will have a remarkable amount of difference as it goes through the lead screen and weight for one pellet to the next. The heavier pellets are going to arrive on the target first. Uh, When you have a shotgun shell and you divide it into four equal parts and then you divide that column in half and you color code every one of those and you go to high-speed photography what you find is every pellet in that shell reverses as it travels through the air. In other words, the pellets that are on the right become pellets on the left. Pellets on the bottom become the pellets on the top. But the weight distribution also plays a point in it. It goes a little bit further than where it yeah. goes. But the, the, the whole aspect of it is the length of this column from first pellet to last is you don't understand. On a standard target load, shooting at 35 yards, it's 17 feet long. And a bird moving it, let's say a dove, at 40 Mm -hmm. miles an hour. Mm -hmm. You better be missing out front. That's what I'm getting at. Because the further out front you are in relation to that target, the better the number of pellets that are intercept that bird as it moves through that shot call. And I I had a hard time as a kid that grew up shooting quail and rabbits and what have you understanding that until I started competing professionally. You're having lead factors coming Exactly. And the reason I'm bringing this up, that gentleman's question was about number nine shot. Number nine shot at 30 yards is losing velocity very rapidly as opposed to a seven and a half or an eight. And on a crossing quail, that's a big problem. So, you know, we've had a big influx uh, here in the last several years of using multiple shot sizes within a shell. And it's something that I totally disagree with. I do too. I don't Uh, like it. But the the principle behind it is to put the, the larger style shot in the front, which then will draft the smaller size yes. behind it. Kind of like get behind a semi-truck with a car right. and get in an airfoil and be pulled partially along. Well, it works to some extent, but it, you're actually creating two separate patterns 
neither of which is dense or, or consistent. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to bring that up because there's a lot of misconceptions about that stuff. That's a little treatise from two guys that have competed at high levels and I understand it, so I wanted to pass it along. All right, folks, we got to go to break. Console and deck boats, Falcon bass boats, and a new line of a low aluminum boat. Go see them, and remember, you will never get soaked by my friends at SMI Marine. Hey, we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors, and I want to remind everybody, you can visit us when we're off air on Facebook at Jim Strader Outdoors, or you can access previous programs for information at Spreaker, S-P is in Paul, R-E-A-K-E-R.com. And they're there by date and a description of the uh, uh, podcast that you'll be able to access. So a lot of folks ask me, how do we, you know, access previous programs for some of the information you put out? And again, it's Spreaker.com. Go to Jim Strader Outdoors. I'll keep everything simple, Gary. Yes, it's sir. all Jim Strader Outdoors. Because <laughs> who am I? Jim Strader Outdoors. And there you have it. <laughs> he's been outdoors most of the time. Yes, sir. So uh, uh, we've been talking about that. Gary, um, I want to return to the shot column. Okay. Shot string. Shot string situation. Because it's very important for folks who waterfowl hunt. Yes, sir. Because so many of your shots on waterfowl are when they veer off and go to the side or they start to climb. Not so much when they climb, but there's just oh yeah in waterfowl and it's kinda of like dove hunting. There's every angle in the world. Let's put it that way. And you are very keen on several types of uh shotgun ammunition for th- those purposes and there's reasons for that. Now, having said that, let, let, let's go. Let me take regress one step. Go ahead. We talked about shot string length. We talked about some of the effects that cause that shot string length. Correct. When we went to steel shot, a lot of this stuff went out the window. Steel shot does not have shot column length the way we're used to it with lead. That became one of the, the controlling factors, and being efficient with it. It traveled more or less like a pancake, but a very small diameter pancake. So our shot string became very hard to work with. You didn't have the lead factors that you had with normal lead. And it arrived on the target at a different time aspect. So, you know, when you've shot thousands upon thousands of shotgun shells, you get your lead factors down pat. Pretty much. Yeah, your head wraps around with your, your head your, and your, your internal computer says, all right, that bird is traveling at a 45 degree angle. I need to lead him six foot in order to make a clean kill. It's all going on in a split second within your brain on the thing. You become programmed to that. When we went over to steel shot, that programming went out the window. It was good at about 25 yards. Both of them arrived to the target at them just about the same time. But steel shot was traveling much faster than lead. 
but it lost velocity much faster than Which is what I hated about it. (laughs) So so that bird that you would normally lead six feet, it now became 10 to 12 feet. And because you had more of a pancake pattern, that degree, you didn't have a shot string to work with. Okay? It was arriving all in one spot at one time, so you were even either had a clean you were kill precise. Or yeah, you were precise or imprecise. Yeah. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. Where uh, lead shot gave you a little margin for error in that. Um, I think what Jim's bringing us around to is the newer forms of shot that we have, particularly for waterfowl hunting, that have generated some of the efficiency of a shot string back in place. And the reason I'm bringing this up, I hated steel shot. I mean, it got to the point where I just, I didn't even want to go duck hunting. Everything I knew, I was wounded too many birds. Right. And I don't like that. I'm a guy, when I pull the trigger, I want a lethal kill. A humane, lethal result or a miss on an average. And back in the days of lead, when I helped federal ammunition Mm -hmm. develop the federal premium ammunition, which was lead copper coated, buddy with number fours. A duck was a dead duck if you yep. hit it. I'll just tell you, it, you know, on average, 90-something percent. And I loved that lethality. They came along with steel shot, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm just wounded bird like crazy. Mm-hmm. Lots and, of cripples, lots of birds flying off, and you can see blood yeah. looking at them as they flew away. So what I'm getting at is it's a new day. It's a good new day, mm-hmm. and I want you to talk about that. Well, let's talk about pellet lethality, first of all. Lead pellets mushroom on impact. They squash. Uh, They deform. They do tissue damage. No different than a high-power rifle bullet or a handgun bullet does. They exert their energy in the bird, which is a lethality factor. By uh, applying outward force to the pellet, and the pellet no longer is round. All right, that's what a mushroom effect is. Steel shot being much harder, and generally we had to go to at least two shot sizes larger to get the same impact energy or similar impact energy. But it had no mushroom effect. It would simply drill a hole. Um, If it hit bone, it became deadly. If it didn't hit bone, it passed through the bird, and the bird left, was left wounded and flying away. Yeah, it had bleed to death instead right. of being stunned to death. Right. For lack of a better way to describe it. It's like shooting a bunch of little ice picks. Yes. And if those ice picks hit, hit bone, the bone became projectiles within the, the bird. Um, <clears throat> we've done a lot of things over the course of time to improve the lethality of a steel pellet. You know, those of us who grew up with guns in our hands all start off with BB guns. A BB gun, uh, if you shot a pest bird, um, a starling, for example, half the time it bounced off of them. It it, it just would not make feather penetration. Um, If you hit them right, then yeah, they, they were down on the ground. You could chase them down and finish them off. But the same effect that we uh, now have in, in waterfowl ammunition. We started doing deviations to steel shot pellets. 
the first deviation that, that we had was done by federal and they made a pellet that had a Saturn style ring around it, a cutter. So <clears throat> they did not load 100% of these in the shells. They found that they couldn't get good patterns out of them. They put them in 100%. But if they put 60 or 70%, they developed very good patterns. And this pellet was much more lethal than a round pellet was because it did tissue damage, uh, exerted energy. Winchester brought out their version of the same thing, which was cubicle shot. So think about a little toy block that, that you played with when you were a kid or your kids play with. You stacked on top of each other. That's the way these pellets stack within the shell. Consequently, they have a little heavier load than the round pellets do. And they pattern phenomenally. So it's brought back a new generation of lethality to steel ammunition. And the, the two types that you've pranked with or, you know, in your travels used, mm -hmm. what are the two or three or whatever that you would recommend that people? Well, I don't think it's any question. I, I, I personally prefer blindside, which is the Winchester load. The, um, the Black Cloud load, which is federal particular guns, they like the blindside pattern um, they pattern better. Now, we're dealing with shot here that it becomes reasonably economically uh, priced to get. There are still all the alternatives out there that are much more deadly than steel, being bismuth, being tungsten matrix. Um, we now have a mixture of heavy 13 or the new TSS shot that's being loaded in waterfowl loads. Uh, horribly expensive, horribly lethal. We'll get into that after break. Pays your money and takes your chances. <laughs> yep. I got it. But bang for the buck, uh, you like the Winchester and the Black Cloud and the... Yeah. Okay, very good. All right, folks, we're going to go to break here very quickly. The number is 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. This break is presented by my buddy, Paul Thomas. Mossy Oak Properties, Hart Realty, all kinds of outdoor properties for sale. Would be delighted to list yours. He's a hunter. He's a fisherman. He understands what folks are looking for. Check him out. M-O-P-H-A-R-T-Realty.com. Folks, we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors, and we've got a caller here. Just one second. Dan. Dan from Mead County. Hey, Dan, you're up. Hello, Jim. Gary. Uh, yes, sir. I have a great show every, every week. I listen to you. I try to. Uh, I got a question to Gary. Uh, is he familiar with the little uh, Bobcat Beretta 21? Yes, sir. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, my question is, it seems like mine is uh, wanting to double feed, not, you know, and I don't know if it's ammo or what. you have any yeah, answer would, on that? That would, be the, that would be the first thing I would look at. Occasionally, your the, the gun's recoil spring system is two bars that come up that go inside the slide. Now, occasionally, right. one of those bars will slip out of that slide and get out of place. 
which causes you a lot yeah. of malfunctions. But 90% of it is number one, dirt in your chamber, and number two, low-grade ammunition. Now, that gun does not have an extractor. It doesn't have a claw to pull the shell out. So, so the, the action is based 100% upon the recall force coming back on the slide out of the 22. All right. I, all I suspected maybe is the ammo, but uh, you said a, a dirty chamber too, Mike tells that. Yes, sir. Or even all a right. we'll chamber. But it, it's, a, it's a true blowback action. And one of the unique features to it with that tip-up barrel is it has no extractor, no claw to get it out. That's right. the reason for the tip-up barrel. You have to tip the barrel up to unload the gun. Right. Okay. Well, thank you much. You're, You're welcome, sir. Jerry, uh, that's a gun, I believe, that I was around when I was a youth uh, trapping. You know, I used to do a lot of trapping when I was a kid for muskrat and mink and fox and all that stuff. And that was our uh, finish the job yeah, yeah. pistol. That was your dispatching gun. Yes. Um, is that the gun I'm thinking about? Well, the, the 21. It was the Beretta. The, the first series of them was called a 950. And actually, there was actually one before the 950. Came in 22 short and in... Uh, 25 caliber on the thing. Now, it was a single-action gun, meaning that you had to cock the hammer back to fire it the first time. Um, they revised the gun, put a little thicker grip on it, made the gun in a double-action mode, which means when you pull the trigger, it was just like a revolver. It cocked the hammer and dropped it um, on first shot. After that, the hammer remained cocked and would fire. And About that was 21. Today. About when did they do that? Because I'm, I'm going back Early to the 60s. 80s, late 70s. Oh, no, this was 60s yeah. for me. You had, the, you had the 995, excuse me, the 950 model. And it would have been a 22 short. Yep. Uh, I, I will say two things about that pistol. Uh, it was extremely accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, you could line the sights up and shoot a weed stalk at, you know, 15 yards. I didn't do any long range stuff with it. But it was very ergonomic. That's a big word for handy yeah. uh, to handle. Mm-hmm. And, and you said drop it right straight in your pocket. Exactly. And that's what we did. We carried it in our pocket. And because and, the nature of the gun, it didn't get dirty easily. Yep. It was easy to clean because the barrel popped up. We could get to everything to wash it out. Well, it was, it was a cool little gun. I, it's amongst... Lots of guns, not having a dad around during my youth. I traded it for other things, you know, other mm-hmm. guns that were more important to me at the time. Gosh, I wish I had those guns today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't we all? I mean, I had I had that pistol. I had uh, a double barrel 410 that my mother gave me for Christmas one year with two cases of 410 shells. They were full choke in both barrels. They came from Bell Nap mm-hmm. uh, hardware back in those days, hardware stores, as sold you know, sold guns and Sears and Sears. And oh, I'd love to have it today to squirrel hunt, you know, in early season when the leaves are on, because that Joker had a serious pattern to it. Now, back to our discussion, 
it wasn't the best for shooting birds, nope. but for a a stationary squirrel or uh, something like that, it was it was a great little gun. But uh, they're back. Like something caught in a trap that you needed to dispatch before you. Yeah, with that pistol. It, yeah, it was it was fantastic. So uh, those were good. We're at a very important point in the year for predator control right now. Oh, yes. Talk about that and the aspects in, in gun terminology, especially for cows. Don't think we have time, do we? Yeah, well, yeah, we got time. We got a minute. Got a Calibers, minute. real quick. 223-556. Um, or 243, uh, 222, 222 Magnum, um, 6.5 Crickmore, 6.5 Rindle, on and on. Okay, buddy. Well, it was great to be with you as usual. Folks, we enjoyed visiting with you tonight. God bless everybody. Stay careful out there. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 